Leeds, Leeds, Leeds. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, an oral history podcast about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 loiners over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them about what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. My mission here is to try to map out what my city, Leeds, a city that has declared a climate emergency, did during humanity's biggest emergency. On working hours, we hear how loiners have, are, and will be coping with our multiple and expanding crises during their day-to-day working hours. Can we turn things around? We'll find out. To tell this story, I need loiners. Loiners like you, dear listener. I need people in Leeds or people from Leeds to come on this podcast and just tell me what they do all day and let me record how this affects us. Thank you for listening. What did you want to be when you grew up? When, it's, it's, it's a funny question really, so when I was quite young, when I was going through school and stuff like that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, I didn't know what I would do at all. Um, I think as I got a little bit older, sort of like the end of secondary school, I started to think I want to join the army. Um, mainly, I think I probably saw it as just um, the opportunity to get out there and see things, you know what I mean, more than actually being in the army itself. I think, um, but yeah, that sort of that sort of thing, like being in the army, travel, that sort of thing, that's what I really wanted to do. Mm. But as I, um, as life catches up with you, I suppose, as you go to college and things like that, um, you get drawn in other directions. And then when, it, when I did leave college, um, I didn't really... Again, I kind of put a line through it. I didn't really, I, ch- I changed my mind basically and I, I didn't want to do that. And then again, for in the middle of that, I didn't really want to do anything. I didn't know. I worked in a pub um, for about three years, worked in a Weatherspoons. Um, so yeah, so I, I did that from like being 18 after I left college. So, mm. so yeah, that, that's where I was then. Mm. So it was a kind of, you weren't quite sure and you just sort of seeing what everybody else was doing. Yeah, just, yeah. Like, I, I didn't really when I was say when I was going through school I didn't have a clue. Mm. That whole sort of environment isn't really for me anyway. I suppose it's quite funny considering the position that I've got now, which I'm sure we'll go into later. Mm. But um, the whole classroom environment, that sort of thing, it was never really for me. And I think yeah. that sort of learning was never really for me. Um, so I think that when it came to people asking about what I wanted to do, I had no idea. So all I had known was classroom you know what I mean and what you yeah. did in the classroom that sort of thing and that wasn't for me and I didn't le- yeah. learn very much in that way so that on more that'll probably some of the reason why I'd, I'd be, I'd, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Mm. I remember when like when I was finishing high school and just sort of considering you know like I've spent 10 years you know you're like 16 mm-hmm. at the time I spent mm-hmm. 10 years of my life in education the, the majority of my life and most of the stuff that I can actually remember and you're kind of like, there's got to be more than this. You want to do something else. Like, 100%. 100%. Yeah, that's what you were like. I mean, I think when, when when I did actually leave school, I didn't leave with the best uh, best grades, anything like that, understandable. So when I went on to college, um, I went, to, I had to re fuck, I didn't do any A-levels because I had to reset my GCSEs because I did so bad in my GCSEs. So I uh, I did that. I reset my GCSEs. Then I went off to um, a different college to do public services. So I still had sort of the army mentality, like still yeah. joined the army at that point. And then I, that was a, a year course and I kind of finished that and I'm like, 
I don't want to do that. So, yeah. but, and then I got on by the, before, literally just after I finished college, I think I were on job seekers for about two weeks. And then I got a job in, um, in a, say in, in, in a Weatherspoons and progressed on there. Um, but even then, when I worked at the Weatherspoons, I, I knew that wasn't really what I wanted to do. You know, yeah. I mean, I was just kind of, um, I was young, I was 18, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's a, just money in your pocket. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's um, a pint on a night, you know what I mean? A pint when you finish work as a bar there, you know what I mean, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, met lots of good people, lots of good friends, you know what I mean, that sort of thing. Um, so very much, of a, uh, the, the job was very much the social aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I did progress to team leader there, um, and I did have the opportunity to start, start training for the manager, that sort of thing. And I did start a little bit, but mm. um, it got to the point where it, it, I knew it wasn't for me. I couldn't, I, to be honest, I couldn't be doing with the um, getting in at silly o'clock in the morning. You know, yeah. what I mean, uh, going um, sometimes I won't start work until ten o'clock at night, um, and then I won't get home till four, five, six o'clock in the morning, you know what I mean? And that's, is it, I get paid more doing a night shift in a warehouse, you know, for that yeah. same hours, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and I saw the stress that the management were under. And I thought, I don't want that. I, I don't want that, but it's not for me that. And then um, I actually, from there, I actually got a job in um, a care home, completely opposite side of the spectrum in a, um, doing, I was a support worker for learning difficulties and mental illness. Mm. Uh, which again it were great while I was there I love that I love that job um I was there for about three years and again I progressed up to senior in that mm. um oh majority of COVID I was in in there as well mm. the senior and I think it was probably the COVID that sort of um pulled me away from that sort of work it got it was it was very very hard um yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, people, the service users on with, they can't go out, they can't do the things that they want to do. They're anxious, you know what I mean? As well as mm. um, staff anxiety, staff sickness, you know what yeah. I mean? All, all, all that sort of thing. Staff going off left, right and centre because yeah. they've got COVID and people in the house have got COVID as well, which is just making things worse. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it was kind of, and again, um, through COVID, I was again so covering a lot of a lot of staff, covering a lot of shifts. Again, it was just long hours, a lot of hours, um, still shift work, stuff like that. And like where it kind of again, that's where it kind of hit a bit of a rock bottom for me. I, I, when I got to senior, like, well, what's after senior? And it was um a deputy manager position. And um again, I looked at the kind of stress that they were under and what they were doing. Mm. and for how much money they were getting paid like uh, there was advertisements out while I was there so I kind of knew the rough estimate of the wage um I don't want to do that for that money you know I mean it's a lot yeah. especially in that sort of I mean what I do now is a lot of responsibility but in a, in a different way yeah. um care of vulnerable people like that in a residential home um administering medication you know what I mean that sort of stuff uh it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of pressure not to mess up, you know yeah. what I mean? And ultimately, eventually that does, mistakes happen anyway in, that, in those cases, but I couldn't see a future where I was going to be the best manager. If I already, if I already losing heart in it at, at the senior level, yeah. I didn't want to go to manager just for the sake of going to manager. You yeah. know what I mean? When you, yeah. not, not when you're working with vulnerable people and things like that. It's not really worth it. 
I mean, it shows shows consideration as well. I mean, the fact that you're thinking about it like that, it's not just kind of like, oh, I don't want the responsibility. It's also sort of, will I be able to have that responsibility? Do I have the passion to yeah to have to to keep doing this at that level with that amount of stress and responsibility and so on? Hundred percent. I think, like I say, from the service user side of it, it was brilliant. I actually loved um, working with the guys that I worked with. Mm. And the majority of the staff as well were brilliant. It's um, it's when like I say you cross over into COVID, then and then things start becoming a lot more difficult. Mm. Just in general, just day to day, you know, I mean, a lot more behaviours because of the service users so more um, more outbursts from the service users because they're frustrated as well. They can't go do the things that they like doing, yeah. and that rubs off on staff. You know what I mean? And that annoys staff. That makes staff anxious. That makes staff not look forward to come to work. Mm. Um, the same way as before because they don't know what that day is going to bring. Mm. They don't know how short staffs are going to be, that sort of thing. You know what I mean? And that makes it a lot. And I think trying to manage that as a senior support worker was really difficult. Never mind trying to manage it as a manager. You know what I mean? As a manager of a home when you've got all these, a lot more responsibility under your belt. Yeah, and so many mm. things to do. Mm. 100%, yeah, 100%. You're listening to Series 4, Episode 24, and to my guest, George Richardson. This is another Zoom interview recorded on the 5th of July, 2023. Hello. Been a while. Apologies. So, quick updates. Firstly, get in touch with me now to book your interviews for 2024. Remember, you get to listen back to your interviews before I make up your episode, so I can take out anything you perhaps shouldn't have said. It's fun, it's therapeutic, and it's a great way to get low-stakes media practice and a free piece of social media marketing content for yourself. You can advertise your skills, your company, or your business, and let people hear your work story. It's going to be absolutely insane next year, so I want to be speaking to as many people as I can through it all. I want to record three times a week, ideally. I want to smash 100 episodes out by August. So help me with that. The only way that I can do this is if you help. I really need to reach people who aren't listening to podcasts. And I also need to keep growing my listenership for this show. It would still be good to build a decent-sized leads audience that can help me to sustain this project financially, emotionally, and logistically. However, I am fully prepared to go it, mostly, alone. Obviously, I need guests, as I have said before. But I'm not going to refuse any help now, either. Everyone needs a friend or two on a long journey. It was a battle to get 100 episodes and finding the resources for the project this year continues to be a struggle. I haven't just been hiding lately. I've been knackered, still, and stressed, and had no time, and been real uptight. Me, I know. Really surprising, huh? Who'd have thunk it? Come on the show. Tell people to come on the show. Tell people about the show. Tell me how to get more people on the show. Help fund the show and fund getting people on the show and making the show better and help it to happen faster and give me more motivation and opportunities to make more of them. Again, sorry this has taken ages, but you know, I've been trying to make a little war chest to make a few more of these. So sorry for not having the time and energy to get these final few episodes of the very few overall episodes I've been able to get done this year out to you. It's very disappointing. The interviews have all been great, but I'm supposed to be going for quantity, not quality. Not that I mind having quality. So please, please 
Next year, do what you can to get people to come on the show. Not just to advertise their business, but because it might do them good, especially if they've just made or are just considering a change in their work. Got a friend that's done nothing but moan about their work for years, saying they'll quit and they never do. Sure you do. Get them on this. What are they playing at? Why are they scared to jump? Or how do we make their job good again? Let's find out. They'll feel better after the interview. Even if they don't change their mind, they might like their job again. For a bit. Anyway, everyone in Leeds, come on this podcast next year. George Richardson is an outreach and engagement practitioner for the charity GAMCARE. George's role is to reach out to different support services and talk to members of the public to raise the profile of gambling-related harms and the support GAMCARE can offer. George also works with the criminal justice system, mainly within two prisons in Leeds, delivering training to staff members and supporting prisoners who have been identified as having an issue with gambling. Right, let's do this. Episode 104 of Working Hours with George Richardson. So uh, let's, we'll probably revisit COVID. Um, yeah, of course. As we get in later, but yeah, yeah of course. Jump into what you're doing now. So, what is it that you? Yeah, doing? so what I'm doing now. So, I'm an uh, I'm an outreach and engagement practitioner. Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to say the wrong ones. So my job titles <laughs> recently recently changed. Uh, so, yeah, I'm an outreach engagement practitioner. So, basically, my role is to reach out to different services in, in Leeds, whether that's, for example, the drug and alcohol service, different housing services, that sort of thing, in community centres, stuff like that, and just try to raise awareness around gambling addiction, gambling harms. Um, we have a training package that we deliver to uh, these services and again trying to set up like referral pathways so they know they know how to refer into our service um, as well as how to ask the right questions as well and I suppose the other half what I do is a lot of the criminal justice side of it as well so I'm doing a lot of work in in the two Leeds prisons so HMP Wheelston and HMP Leeds um, working with prisoners who have spoken about uh, their issue around gambling as well as training staff and stuff like that as well. To make it expand that a little bit further, um, basically they will refer straight out to me. Um, I will go into them and assess them and stuff like that. Uh, I have a colleague who's going to be coming in with me. She's been picking up a lot of the treatment side of it, so a lot of the practitioner work, so more of the, I suppose you'll call it the counselling side of it. It's not really counselling, but that sort of um, that sort of work. Um, and then when they are due for... For, for release, uh, we'll look to um, refer them on to a, the, the appropriate community service. Mm. So um, if they are going somewhere else in the country, if staying in Leeds or Yorkshire and Humber sort of area, they can stay with us. But um, when, but then there will be, uh, if they're going somewhere else in the country, there's always a local um, treatment service somewhere. Mm. So it's just referring them on, them on to the most appropriate treatment service, which uh, there's very... Um, we're kind of pioneering it sort of around here. So there's very, very few places in the country that have that sort of support and treatment for prisons. Um, there's plenty out there for the community now. When people are in the community, on the criminal justice side, there's very, very little um, support in prisons. Um, that's that sort of face-to-face support. There is uh, over-the-phone support and stuff like that they can get through the National Gambling Helpline, which is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But um, there's very little like face-to-face support there for, for gambling and gambling harms. Hmm. So at what point would you sort of come in on that then? Do you come in just as they're coming out for release or would you? No, out? no. So um, it's, it, it's very much while they're in there. So 
some of the a lot of the training that we've done with staff in there again it's about asking the right questions when they are when they're doing their assessments mm. so for example if um if they have an issue around substances as well um, and they come forward they've got an issue around substances or say they're on a, a methadone script or something like that or on some medication that um because of drugs or, or they need a detox obviously they need to fill out that they need to be assessed by uh, the drug and alcohol team in the prisons mm. um i do I, I work closely with them and then they ask the question uh, so our sort of screening question is um uh, have you ever been affected by your own gambling or the gambling of a loved one the last question is similar to that or that question um like exactly like that hopefully and then if they say, yeah, I've got an issue around gambling, or if they say, um, partner's a gambler, you know what I mean? Anything like that, uh, we will, um, they'll fill out a referral form and they'll send that straight to me. Uh, obviously, while they are in there, there is, it is limited to what we can do with them because it's okay while they're in prison, uh, them saying, I'm never going to gamble again. Mm. It's very easy for them to say that while they're, while it's not. As it's not so accessible yeah. uh, as it is in the community. Um, so the challenge really is um, to try keep them, um, keep talking to them, keep getting them ready for when they are coming out. Mm. And then when they are released or being well, um, then look at trying to keep them in support when they do come back to the community. Because that's when the real challenge starts for them, then when they do come out. But yeah, okay. um, I'll, I'll, the job in itself, um, yeah, I love it's um a very niche job, I suppose. I don't know um, of many services that do anything like what we do. There are some that might do some community engagement and stuff like that. I do like awareness stalls, which we do. So there'll be some services that do stuff like that. But in terms of um, the training aspect of it, it's what I was saying earlier, while it's quite funny that I hate the classroom environment, mm. but now I do. Um, a lot of my job now is the, the training aspect which I do really enjoy. So it's a bit of a, so it's, it's, it's a bit strange, really. I mean, would, do you deliver the training in a kind of classroom setup or is it more of a small groups? We try to do it face-to-face -face more now. Uh, mm -hmm. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, we try to do it more face-to-face. -face. Um, it's sometimes in a classroom environment, there's we've got a presentation, stuff like that that we've built, there's videos and presentation. I, try, I do try and base it as much as possible as more conversational asking them questions what are their experiences how can we improve those experiences of asking the questions obviously we do go through the things of like the types of gambling um the different gambling harms how it affects different people mm. uh, and things like that it's very it's a lot better trying to do it face to face now i think um on teams it's very easy for people i know personally uh this is where my as i know we've said we'll come back we've gone through COVID and everything was more remote. Mm. So sort of even like online training and stuff like that, when I'm receiving the training, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not a fan of it at all. Yeah. But at the same, and I'd much rather be in the classroom. Yeah. Um, get Getting, receiving that fake training face-to-face, -face, it helps keep me personally more engaged. But I yeah. suppose as well, that's because I'm, it's training that I, um, that I like, you know what I mean? I'm probably more interested in that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and a lot of the time it's, it's kind of, it's that bad experience of either it's it's boring and or it's painful which is yeah. why people get you know sort of put off long term but then because I worked for a good while 
in, at the TUC in their learning bit. Yeah, and we yeah. dealt with a lot of people who had come back to education or back to learning later in life yeah. um, and who had had bad experiences in school and stuff. And then they, they were just not interested. And then they'd kind of got into something, started with one thing, learning that, and then just built from there and ended up really, really enjoying sort of the education it's that thing of like it's not the information it's the it's the delivery you know it's that sort of yeah. school system of you will learn this and you're talking to a room of 30 people mm. it's very depersonalized isn't it yeah 100 100 there's people uh fidgeting behind us people messing about you know what i mean it's very hard to concentrate i mean i was saying i was the best student i wasn't <laughs> but um kids you know what i mean i think i don't me personally in in general i don't believe I think it's a very unfair system that the people, people are always going to thrive in that system. People are always going to thrive and people are always going to get a lot out of it. But on the other end of the spectrum, the people that it's not for them at all, you know what I mean? They are a lot more doers, they like to be out and about mm. happily, um, sitting on a, on a computer and learn something on a computer, learn about, I don't know. Um, anything, uh, really. Anything, it, yeah. There's an interesting way in. I mean, the things that you watch, you know, like... Yeah. I can give you a random example from a few years back. This thing that I was listening to, which was a history of filing cabinets, which right. just sounds like what, uh, but it was fascinating because <laughs> it was like you know the development of it and like as a technology, how that affects how that mm -hmm. affected things and that how that changed the access to information and how we thought about information and like know you know saying. you that's a that's a stepping stone on the way to kind of databases and stuff yeah definitely that's really that's quite interesting never thought of it like that in my life but that's it all these things start that's what I mean. coming it could, out. Be, it could be it could be the most boring thing possible but the internet and videos and yeah. um, animations and stuff like that can make it so fascinating yeah yeah um all right well let's there's there's tons and tons in that so i'm sure we'll get into it as we go but let's yeah, let's start off with how how you got into this role then Quite funny, actually. So it kind of fell on my lap. Um, so when I came out of the uh, the care sector, so care home, that sort of stuff, I went to a, a drug and alcohol service, a local one to me in Wakefield. Um, and I uh, worked on the criminal justice team there. I uh, worked with people coming out of prison. I did like their assessments and stuff like that. And again, I did really, I really enjoyed that job um through that as well like when I first sort of started there so I think I started like early it'd been early 2021 when I started there mm. um and in like the months leading up to it maybe a little bit into it as well I, I started gambling on my phone nothing too heavy to start with I started winning lots of I was winning lots of money it was great mm. uh eventually I could see where it was going you know what I mean so I kind of I took a step back I took a, took a step back and I, and I stopped and then I, I looked back and later, like, wow, 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 I was going somewhere. I could see where that was going. You know what I mean? It was quite um, worrying where I was going. But yeah, I took a step back from that. Anyway, I carried, carried on my role. And then I got a phone call or, or an email, I can't remember which, uh, from, um, uh, they call them like uh, an employment agency sort of thing. Like, but like, yeah. not, not, it's, it's not an agency, it's like to headhunted essentially yeah yeah headhunted yeah so the found my cv on indeed you know what i mean the mm. asked me to apply for this role and i read it and i like there were, there were three roles there were a lived experience lead 
Um, I didn't think I had enough experience for the lived experience lead, and, and, I, and I, I didn't. There was a criminal justice lead, and there was um, then it was the uh, training and engagement lead. Mm. Um, and I actually originally uh, applied for the criminal justice lead position because that's where I, um, I thought, thought it really fascinating and things like that. And I thought I'd carry a lot of things over from what I was doing. And then I, d- I, d- I didn't get it, but they asked me to re-interview for the training and engagement lead. Mm-hmm. And in the background of all this as well, so I was, people that work in those sort of roles, um, same with the care sector, it's a very, very low paying job. Mm-hmm. I was practically on minimum wage when I was at the drug and alcohol service. I then, there was lots of bartering about the wage and stuff like that. And I knew I wanted to go for it. I, I want. I wanted to carry on my life, you know what I mean? I wanted to look mm-hmm. at, start to drive, you know what I mean? There's certain things that I wanted to do and I'm in rented accommodation. I'm real lucky, my mom, my landlady's great, but I'm still in rented accommodation. I want to start saving for a house, to buy a house, those sort of things, you know what I mean? And I, I, I can't do that on minimum wage. No. Um, so there were a lot there to um, have those discussions with the drug and alcohol service. Um, and then this, when this fell on my lap, a lot more money. A lot more chance to progress through uh, the the wages sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I well, I don't know what it's gonna be like. I've never done anything like that before. I'd never done a professional facing job before. Yeah, my jobs previous. You know, I worked on a bar, worked in a care room, uh, worked with people coming out of prison. This is the position I'm doing now. A lot of it is professional facing, different services. You know, what I mean, a lot more. Yeah, that sort of role. Um, I'd never done that before, so I don't know how I'd fare at all. But I started, and yeah, it. It was, it, I really enjoyed it. I think it took a little bit of time to get into it mm. because the work had been so stale through COVID because yeah. there hadn't been um, as much training going on, not as much engagement. They weren't talking to as many services, you know what I mean, as we, we would like. And plus there'd been no one, there'd been no one employed for a good few months leading yeah. up to me as well. So a lot of the leads that they had, had, had gone uh, stale. Yeah. But yeah, um, carried on with that for, started there September. Um, September 21 um, as I worked my way through um, uh, the lady who got the criminal justice lead job she left mm-hmm. um, she wasn't there very long and I kind of just slid into that role like I, 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 want to, I, I, I want to pick that up and luckily from my previous employment I was able to um, when I worked at drug and alcohol service I had lots of connections already i was talking to the prisons every day mm. you know what i mean all, all that sort of stuff i knew people in probation uh yeah. mind a different area that sort of stuff so i had lots of connections already and yeah. it made it quite uh it was quite easy then to to sort of mirror because that's that's the real aim is what i were doing now so there were referral pathways and stuff like that set up for mm. the drug and alcohol service and i was really trying to mirror the sort of thing that happened in drug and alcohol service because because it's not there for gambling at all. Um, there's no refer. There's no questions asked. If someone goes into prison, and like I was saying before, and they've got drug and alcohol issues, or if they've got severe mental health issues, or all of the above, they get picked up straight away. They get assessed right away. They get support and get treatment. Every person that I've spoken to who have in who was a prisoner who was in the prison has, um, and has got an issue around gambling. Mm. Not one of them has ever been offered any support through the criminal justice servant for gambling. No one's ever been asked to ask them the question before. Mm. So it shows the real gap in uh, care and support in the system. 
I don't think it's ever been seen as a real problem anyway. Like, I, I don't think it is. I think it's it's sort of like, oh, there are people with gambling mm-hmm. problems or problem gamblers, but gambling itself overall is not problematic, you know, and that people being kind of prolific gamblers is not problematic. Yeah. Um, I worked in a casino for a while. Oh, really? And, yeah, and you would see some people and, and you would see people doing loads of money it's like that's got to be hard to take that you know those those sort of losses consistently and it is that up and down and a lot of the time you would see people you know like you said with a with the phone and getting a big win mm. often it's a, like a I, I don't know if obviously you correct me because you're you've dealt with more people but like anecdotally from my experience it's like a big win can be the the thing that sets it off because you've had that win you know it's possible Mm -hmm. and then you go back and you just plow all that money that you've won back into the place yeah there's lots and lots of uh, stories out there now about people who've had big wins 30 grand taking all the family to disney world or something like that paid some of the mortgage off and then they've got five grand left Mm. then they've ended up in negative 30 grand because they've gambled away that five grand and they want to try and they've just kept going and they've ended up negative 30 grand just from that one big win it's definitely um, something that can start it all off. If you have that early big win, it can definitely. Um, I mean, when I uh, was doing it myself, I wasn't, there was no like massive thousands of pounds win. It was lots of medium wins. So it was like 100 quid here, 100 quid there, 200 quid, 150, 50, stuff like that. And then when they started to dry up and that, it was really strange. It was just when I started and um, I'll get all these wins. The industry will say that that's not, thing i don't know but um for me and i know a lot of other people have had a, a very similar experience mm. and um i was winning lots um and yeah and then i started to lose and then when i started to lose i'll put in more in because i was losing and that's when i drew a line underneath it that's when i could see something was happening mm. i say i'm very lucky because i had, I had the experience of um drug and alcohol service and addiction in general you know yeah. I mean, mental, mental so you health, see the red flags yeah, exactly. I could see the red flags and I could see where it was going and I was able to take a step back. Hmm. Whereas um, a lot of people, if there's a lot of other things going on in the background, if uh, you have got mental health issues, if you have got other financial issues, if... Um, if it's your only avenue of pleasure. Yeah, exactly. If you're isolated, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, if that's where all your friends are, that's where your social network is. Yeah. 100% all that it's a lot easier I can see quite easily how people can get sucked into it yeah and how people can continue and will continue and how it can become people's lives mm. um but yeah like I say it's the same with the criminal justice aspect of it like in the prisons and things like that it's not it's not recognized as an issue mm. when in reality gambling addiction can can be what if can sometimes be a lot easier than drugs and alcohol, especially more your more severe drugs like crack cocaine or heroin, things like that. Obviously, it's a lot easier to kick than them. So if you can get those in, you can get those stop gambling, it can give them a lot of recovery capital anyway. Mm-hmm. So you can get them thinking a lot more about their future. You know what I mean? Well, stop that. I'm not doing that anymore. What else can I what how else can I improve myself? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, it can really um start a chain of change. You know, what I mean, start, start a cycle of change, um, just on that. Mm. Um, and like, it's weird because if you imagine 
it's not it's not even just that for example so if you imagine there's a domestic abuse charge against somebody uh, or domestic violence um and they were intoxicated when they committed the violence it's going to go down as alcohol related and they've got an issue around around alcohol mm. what they might not have told you is what they were doing all night while they were always gambling at the same time yeah got home they lost all the money yeah. but again that's something that's very rarely asked whether it's probation whether it's um the prison service uh the police or like it's it's not asked it what's physical and what you can see is that is is intoxicated it's alcohol related and that's what that's and then when they do go to court and they do go to prison and things like that that's what they'll get that's what they've got the opportunity to refer to is for alcohol and substance misuse and not and no one even look at the gambling and that's what i'm trying to change it's the real uh trying to put it on people's mind when they are having these conversations with uh, people whether it is in the community or in uh, the criminal justice system so it sounds like it's not sort of legally recognized as a as an addiction no it, it is getting there um yeah. it is getting but, i mean there. socially everyone would yeah like i don't think anyone would say that you can't be addicted to gambling i think most people would be yeah. like yeah. yeah you can be addicted to it i know people who are addicted to it. yeah yeah i think yeah it's not that it's not recognized and there is and there is more guidance and stuff coming out it's just all like dripping through for it we have got a national criminal justice team um, who work for Gamcare and they've done lots and lots of good work with local probations, um, and more, sort of like regional probation services and the Met Police and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they've done um, quite a lot in those areas and they're working hard to have top heavy change, you know what I mean? Change at the top, that's going to filter down. Where for me, I'm more trying to do it from the bottom up. I'm trying to work with local people, trying to work in local uh, prisons, uh, local probation with local organizations mm-hmm. try and put it on people's mind on a more obviously a local basis but obviously try to create what's the word uh, an environment more of an environment where it is thought of more yeah. and then hopefully that spreads out as well yeah. from the bottom it's like an awareness raising yeah exactly because even if it comes from top down it's still going to take a long long time to filter down for the people at the bottom which is brilliant what they are doing because it needs to be changed all change needs to be top down anyway uh, there needs to be change at the top for it for it to make a difference at the bottom, but that's still going to take time. But yeah, um, the it's very much ingrained in culture. Um, it's very um, accessible, so easy to hide. You know what I mean? People now you can gamble a lot online gambling and stuff like that. Obviously, it's so accessible, um, and it makes it so easy to hide as well. I could sit on the other side of the sofa, so my partner gambling, and she won't and she wouldn't have a clue. Uh, for all you know, I could be a gambler now and you wouldn't have a clue, um, obviously. And that's the, the other side of it as well. If I'm coming into work intoxicated, if I were talking to you now as I were now intoxicated or if I was using drugs, the physical signs you'd be able to tell. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? And with gambling, there's not. So that's very much that sort of thing we try to look at. And that's why it's really important that we ask everyone the question. It's not kind of one or two people. It needs to be asking um, everybody who you come into contact with in that sort of area of your work. So you can give a kind of on the record and off the record response to this if you want. But yeah, um, yeah like, so what has your attitude to gambling become? Has it made you really hard line? Have you become like, no, oh, gambling is just bad? No. Or are you kind of like, no, it can become bad? No, I think, and this is my opinion and this is the services opinion this is gamcare or gamcare say as well 
I'm not a prohibitionist. I'm not going to sit here and say all oh, gambling should be illegal. Mm. I think it needs to be more regulated. I think there needs to be more regulation for gambling industries. I think there needs to be more, um, in, definitely in terms of like advertising and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and I don't, but I think prohibition and making things illegal just makes things 10 times worse. Mm. You know what I mean? I think you look at drugs and things like that, and I know I'm not saying um, all drugs should be legal, but we all understand, especially nowadays, very much in the younger culture as well, that it was the the, the war on drugs as such that made it as widespread as it is now and made it um made it, so we, made it worse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, more exactly. violent, more exactly. Yeah, more money, it, more deaths, more exactly more of everything. More, more, exactly. Hundred <laughs> percent. And if it were treated more as a health issue, like gambling should be, gambling's again still it's still getting to be known as a public health issue but slowly but surely it is getting there not everyone who drinks becomes alcoholics you know what i mean not everyone who takes recreational drugs becomes a drug addict um i enjoy a drink you know what i mean much of the next person the difference is there's not someone standing outside the pub with a bell shouting three pints mm. for everybody when um if you've got an issue around gambling it's quite easy if you get an email saying free uh, free bets um, no one's sort of saying probably a bell shouting three pints to alcoholics and that's the big difference and that's where the change needs to be that sort of thing the attitude of industry and it is and again again we are, it, is, it is changing it is changing it is slowly changing but I think we are getting there slowly but surely I think I think it's going to take a, a long time yeah. and I think um, it will eventually go the same way as other um, tobacco um alcohol that sort of thing i think it will eventually go that way uh it's just gonna take a long time that's all it's kind of odd because there's been a weird so it was really like for example with casinos when i was working at the casino you couldn't just go straight in you you had to oh. sign up for membership you had to wait 48 hours before you could go oh, in really you had the 48 yeah. hour cooling off period um I think they've reduced that down to 24. I think you can, like, I know there are casinos in the country where you can literally just do a membership and go straight in now. Um, there was, like, a general kind of loosening up and they wanted to build, like, the the big casino that's in Victoria Gate. I think yeah, yeah, like yeah. that planned for a long time. Um, and I do think there is, a, you know, you can certainly make the argument that it's good for your, your kind of growth and development and so on, especially a city like Leeds that has... You know, big gambling firms here. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, the funny is, well, with, with, with the Victoria Gate Casino, that's kind of how our service started. So mm. um, when their service was being planned and stuff like that, part of their licensing agreement was they had to fund a study into the prevalence of gambling harm within Leeds, done by Leeds Beckett University. Um, and that study actually found that there was um, double the national average of people in Leeds who were at risk mm. of gambling harms. I can't remember the exact figures. It's um, well, yeah, double the national average of people who are at risk. So not double the national average of gamblers or mm. double the national average of people who are at risk. We're down to lots of reasons, uh, deprivation. We've got some of the most de deprived areas in the country. Mm. Um, in Leeds, as you know, um, I, I think like, don't quote me on it, but about nine places are in the top 1% of deprivation in England, something like that, nine estates and stuff like that. You know yeah. what I mean? And all that sort of thing. Um, that's why there's so much money in sort of like the drug and alcohol service here and things like that because they've got a lot of work to do you know what i mean yeah. great work to do 
do, you know what I mean? It's um but uh all those issues pile on to individuals and it creates all sorts of issues as such, such as your gambling, um, drug addiction and all that. It's very much a obviously there are people who are higher up um in sort of the social ladder that can have issues around um drugs, alcohol and gambling. Mm. But um it's very much caused the most harm to the people at the bottom. Mm. Well, it's one of those where it, it's sort of, it's not as big as a problem if you can afford to do it kind of thing, but it's still a problem for a lot of people and for the people 100%. in that person's life, for the individual as well, once it's become problematic. But like you say, it's that sort of, you know, it's not, it's not the thing in itself that's sort of necessarily the issue that, is the, when it becomes problematic behavior that's symptomatic of other kind of problems and other issues 100 percent, 100 percent. lots of environmental factors and things like that especially with what we say with all all kinds of illness and addiction and stuff like that um a lot of people don't know that um suicide actually has the highest rate uh, sorry gambling actually has the highest rate of suicide of all addictions yeah so a study done in 2019 by suicide i can't remember who did the study but it was suicidality amongst gamblers and uh, young adults. Um, the study found that 37% of men aged 16 to 24 who attempted to take uh, take their own life were problem gamblers. And 14.5% of the same age group um, of women. So um, compared to 3.6% of males who had no suicidal thoughts at all, mm. uh, 2% of women. So basically they took a sample of people at around 4,000 people. Mm. They asked all those individuals if they'd ever attempt to take their own life. Um, then they had a percentage of people that did, a percentage of people that didn't. Um, so 37% of people that did attempt to take their own life mm. uh, were problem gamblers. That's in males and 14.5% in females. And then only 3.6% of the people who didn't attempt to take their own life had an issue around gambling in males and then 2% in females. So and I think in a day and age where a lot of the focus is on young people's mental health, especially like men, young men's suicide, you know what I mean? Briggs killer for men under 35, all that sort of stuff. These are still things that aren't spoken about enough. Mm -hmm. um, it just shows. And they're the real, they're the people that are really trying to reach, you know what I mean? That are those people that are that deep into it. Because for those individuals, it's 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 a means to an end, you know what I mean? Gambling in general is a means to an end because they're already in 30 grand's worth of debt you know what i mean the only way they're going to get out of that 30 grand's worth of debt is by gambling more or so the thing by gambling more by trying to get that money back mm. and the more you do that the more shame builds up mm. especially if, if you're hiding it the anxiety the tiptoeing around you know what i mean not doing things with your friends avoiding people you know what i mean um and then that creates isolation that creates depression and all those sort of things mm. and then suicidal thoughts and sadly suicide as well there quite a big impact from all that because they can only hide it for so long and when they can't hide it anymore they don't want to talk about it and that's the next thing that's the next step you know what i mean mm. to literally taking it to the grave you know like you say if the only way you can get out of it is to gamble more because it's like how can i get money quickly well it's a big win that's that's, exactly, the, only right. that's the only way out. you're not going to think oh well i can i can get a debt payment loan or a repayment plan and spend the next 30 odd years paying so much exactly, exactly. Like, it's, not, it's, 
it's not an exciting prospect, is it? It's not at all. Not uh, and at it's all. not that win. It's not, uh, you know, that's not a win. Um, yeah. Exactly. And as well, like, even if someone did manage to pull off a big win and someone did manage to get the money to pay that sort of money back. It's not going to fix anything. They're going to carry on because they're, they're running off that high then. They've just won it. They've got the bat square on. It's good. Go on, I can carry on. I'm, I'm on a win streak. You know what I mean? That's the big one. I'm, I'm on a win streak. But yeah, like I say, it's uh, the facts and figures that people don't talk about. And then in this day and age, it needs to be spoken about when so many young people are sadly taking their own life. Well, I mean, we, we've said this, but it doesn't get the social awareness that it deserves. Like, it is mm. a, it is an issue. Exactly. Um, for, 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 for example, there was, um, I was doing some training uh, earlier this year, and there was um, a lovely lady there, and she was talking about that um, when she was a young girl, a lot of them used to go to casinos and stuff like that. Mm. And they were like, they were, but there was someone there who were, oh, we knew he had, he had a gambling problem, but we'd invite him anyway, and he'd come in and spend all his money and all this, and they were always in debt and all this. And I'm like, well, the more I think about it, like, if you knew someone was an alcoholic, you wouldn't invite him to the pub. You know what I mean? You wouldn't invite him out on town. Mm. You know what I mean? But because it were gambling, it wasn't seen as a real addiction. You know what I mean? It wasn't mm. causing any physical harm. You don't put Because you think of addiction, you think of putting something in your body. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whether it is um, alcohol or substances and things like that, you think of putting things in your body. Um, and it wasn't seen as that. You're not doing that. So a lot of people, it really fell under, it will and still does fall under the radar of addiction. Mm. I, I'm thinking about that sort of point of, of, of loss of control of like, you know, because it's like with alcoholism, it's like, when is someone an alcoholic? Because you can't, you can't have the, you can't just do definition. It drinks x amounts of units yeah, yeah, at exactly. these intervals because for some people they can drink loads and they will drink all the time and they will not consider themselves an alcoholic mm -hmm. but other people might but then other people won't drink as much but will be alcoholics because they like desperately need it and they use yeah, it yeah. so it's this whole weird thing oh, of like can't really I nail mean, down there's so it in, in in alcohol, there's like you've you've got um alcoholics, you've got your normal bog standard, what you think of as an alcoholic is people who sit at home all day, who don't work, they don't do anything, mm. um, and the drinker they need to have a drink if they don't have a drink, they're shaking and stuff like that. Mm. On the flip side, that like, you've got your functional alco functional alcoholic. These people that still go to work every day, uh, they might be real successful, have a real good business, but every day when they come home, they'll drink two or three bottles of wine. Mm. If they're still doing that every day and it's it's a if they don't they, they feel really unsettled and stuff if they don't do that mm. then they would still consider an alcoholic i think and then it, it, it's very similar with gambling so well not really actually it's quite really quite different <laughs> um so if you look it's at kind like, of similarly defined isn't it it's like yeah. it becomes a problem when it starts affecting it's you exactly. adversely and and other people adversely where there's like damage physical harms and 100 percent. i mean it's when it's starting to like to use, robbery yeah like, that, that could be one of them like we actually we like to use like this, two terms one term is disorder gambling so that's gambling that compromises and disrupts and damages uh family personal and recreational but it's when it's getting in the way of certain things in your life so instead of uh, paying your bills by shopping, um, going to gambling instead, and then yeah, you're bothering. 
yeah, you have, a, you have a bet you're doing this instead, and it's getting the way of certain things in your life. You're not getting the same enjoyment out of life mm. like you that you would otherwise because you're gambling. Yeah, so that's that a, makes sense as a way to prioritize. Yeah, because it's like when it becomes a priority over your actual priorities. Yeah, like, exactly. You need to have a basic kind of standard of being a civilized person, yeah. eating food and doing things. Exactly. And when you start giving that up for something else, then Exactly. That's that's when it's time. To, that's when you know there's something there you need to help, and it can it, it can take over very quick. You know, what I mean, it can mm. happen, and it, I think as well. What, what, but we all go through bad periods as well, where things yeah. like that happen, where you're kind of like, I just don't care about the normal things at the moment. Yeah, exactly. But it's, it, it, like, how long does that period last, and mm. how much damage is it doing while you're in that that frame of mind or that you know mental yeah. health position or yeah. whatever we want to call it? Yeah, hundred percent. It, it it really does vary from individual to individual. Some people like me might be able to realise quite quickly what's happening and where it's going and slipping into it and they can put things in place there and then there's lots of different blockers and things like that you can put in place for online gambling. So you can start putting things like that, spend, obviously spending limits and stuff like that, which I don't think really are that good, but I think we're, we're spending limits. Although I would, if that's what you want to do, I wouldn't say don't do it. Um, I think um, it's very easy just to put it all so if you put 50 quid a month spending limit on, you're going to spend 50 quid a month. You know what I mean? Um, especially if you if you have got an issue there with gambling and it's not, you're going to spend that. Um, so if you can lose, afford to lose 50 a month and you want to gamble 50 a month, that's fine. But I guarantee it'd be, I can't guarantee, but it'll probably be gone in a day. Yeah, the likelihood is, yeah. Exactly. It'll do, it'll just go straight over. But yeah, there's lots of things you can put in like, like that but then as you do dig deeper as we were talking about earlier the more you dig deeper and the more it becomes an issue that's when it really gets really difficult to get out of it and that's when it gets more and more difficult to reverse and that's when it gets more and more difficult to think about things like blockers mm-hmm. because there's no other way out of it anyway so that's when it gets really really difficult and there is a really fine line you know what i mean um and it, it, it's, it's not even linear you know what i mean there's no mm-hmm. There's no guarantee. Um, someone might only gamble once a year, for example. Mm. But when they gamble once a year, they gamble everything they've got in their bank account. They will get a £200 overdraft. Mm. They will ask to borrow money and things like that. They really shouldn't be gambling. They would still be classed as a high-risk gambler, even though they're only doing it once a year. Because mm. eventually that can catch up with them and it become the one time it doesn't go their way or they can't mm. borrow any money or if they put themselves in too much debt over that one night, it can quite easily snowball and carry on to the next week or the next night. So it's not really linear at all in a lot of cases or some cases. And the plus on the other side as well, certain types of gambling, people might be all right. You know what I mean? People might be be able to put five on football at weekend and be absolutely fine with that. But as soon as they go in online slots or as soon as they go into a casino, it's a, diff- it's a different kettle of fish. You know what yeah. I mean? Things go... You know, what I mean, um, just so, certain so, certain, so, certain environments or certain yeah. tools. It's just like I can't control myself with this. Exactly, it's, it, it can become very compulsive. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, exactly right. Exactly right. Those environments, like in casinos, as you know, like some of the things that they do to keep you there and stuff like that to keep you enticed and to keep you time time in well it's like time on device isn't it but it's like yeah. time in the casino time on the machine right yeah and that, and again it's not saying that every person that does those things not every person who goes into casino is going to become a gambling addict not every person who uh uses online slots is become a going to become a gambling addict 
but um, obviously there's more high risk forms of gambling as well. Mm. You know what I mean? Like your online slots, they're really, really high risk because they are so easy to hide and stuff like that. But yeah, as I was saying, jumping off topic, as I was saying before, it's not um, it's not linear at all. There's no one size fits all for it. And there's, I can't, it's really difficult to pinpoint when it becomes an issue and, and when would the right time to stop, when would the right time, you know, when should they have stopped, you know, yeah. and that sort of thing. It's really hard to pinpoint that because it, it quickly snowballs and quickly takes over. So I'm I've been really lax on the time, but I've been interested in what, what we've Oh, it's fine, about. it's fine. Don't so worry. um yeah, I what I'll do is I might I might whiz through some of the questions, but before right. I crack on with that, I want to just get your kind of ideas or thoughts on. So I was thinking of uh an old film, I think it was Philip Seymour Hoffman was in it, who was playing this guy who was a banker. I think it was based on a true story. And what he was doing was he was stealing funds from the bank mm-hmm. and going like either across the border or into another state and sort of gambling there. And I've worked in stock dealing as well. Um, and, you know, and we've all heard of sort of casino capitalism. Like could, so one side of it is like, could someone who's like a gambling addict quite easily just, slot themselves into sort of the market being there gambling with other people's money yeah. kind of thing 100%. and could they be like is there any way to identify problem gamblers there like it is really really difficult because stocks and shares and stuff like that at the minute and crypto as well all that sort of thing it is still a gamble it's is still gambling and people don't understand just because you put 200 pound on a stock don't mean you're going to be a billion, a millionaire. You know what I mean? I think in terms of recognising, a lot of the signs and symptoms are the same. The hiding how much they're putting on, the hiding how much they're investing, the hiding how much they're losing, mm. um, the lying to people about it, mm. uh, not telling the truth, they're avoiding people because of it. All those sort of things. It's, it's very, very similar because it is because of the the harms are the same. You're still losing money. You're still causing. You're still potentially putting yourself in debt. There's still uh, re- it's called causing relationship issues because of the lying, because of the deceit and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of the harms are still the same. So in terms of recognizing it, mm-hmm. um, it's the same sort of thing. You need to be asking the same questions. So mm-hmm. um, although they might not recognize it as gambling, and that's probably where there's more blurred lines. Mm-hmm. If they don't personally recognize it as gambling, if they re- don't think about, they think of. To just it's just the stocks it's just the stock market i'm, I'm mm. trying to make money i need to make money you mm. know what i mean so obviously those people are very uh money driven anyway mm. so yeah that's probably where the blur line would be was be, when do they start to recognize their own gambling mm. but there is lots in those sort of things in general i mean the whole the whole sort of uh thing of stealing from employers and stuff like that stealing from all that sort of stuff is very very common there's mm. lots and lots of stories out there now of lived experience stories some of which have come to gamcare to talk to us about it um about their experience of uh stealing from employers knocking on doors and committing fraud um telephone fraud mm. all that sort of thing just to be able to get money to, to gamble with um lots and lots of those stories out there 
it's not so much of what I'm dealing with on the, in, in the prisons that I'm working in. Mm-hmm. It's a very much a different uh, clientele. I'm sure there are some people there, but um, it's more it's not so much of that clientele who I'm sort of seeing. It's more the on the lower end who um, would probably would be able to put that together uh, in the nice way possible to them. It's more people who are more at risk, more um, substance misuse issues as well, more on, on, on the lower side. And you see they're probably more on the mi- middle to high class, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, who have got their own businesses, who have been embezzling uh, funds from somewhere, that sort of thing, um, mm. whether, or whether it's uh, fraud, what's it called, where you um, claim money back and stuff like that. I've had a brain. My head's gone. I can't remember, can't remember the word. Are you, are you thinking of a specific fraud? Yeah, it's where you... Um, where, where you claim money back from money your, laundering or where like claim money back from your employer so if i want to get like a train ticket i'd claim oh expenses expenses thank yeah, you yeah, yeah yeah so a lot of that sort of stuff as well people try, they were actually someone if i'm not wrong there was actually a member of parliament recently that um uh, got in trouble with that and he's uh, recently been uh on like, might have been a councillor or something if a member of parliament, like councillor or something like that. That probably but, happens every week. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 but it was uh, because of gambling. Um, yeah. And he, he, he's uh, and, and ended up in prison. There's lots and lots of those stories out there. And it is, like I say, those sort of white-collar cl- cl- crimes, you know what I mean? It is very much more um, middle to high class rather than your, who I'm dealing with, who are ma- mainly who are right at the bottom, who are... Uh, stealing from a local shop, try to sell to someone in the street to pay for the gambling and the, and the drugs, or it's a robbery, you know yeah. what I mean, that sort of thing. Okay, so we'll go into questions. Obviously, you've talked a fair bit about COVID already, so mm. I'll, I'll kind of narrow that down so we don't have to do, and I don't have to put you through a big whole COVID re, reliving experience. But yeah, I, I mean, the the sort of, you you were working in care homes, so I imagine it was panic stations sort of early on for you. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I mean, obviously, feel free to chat a bit more no, about fine. that and yeah, tell a bit more about that if you want to. But also, um, like the other part of the question I normally ask is sort of how that changed your work, sort of long term mm-hmm. coming out, and sometimes that's to do with the whole mental health thing that came out and so mm-hmm. on. Um, but yeah, so. Tell us a bit more about COVID and then tell us if you think there are anything that, you know, did it change your work? Yeah, I think in terms of the work, I think it's very difficult to say because at the start I didn't work in well. Totally different now, job. I did a different job, but from what I've heard, it changed it a lot. So obviously it was very much the main thing, I think, across the board for everybody who worked these kind of jobs is the working from home aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm at home now. Um, I've worked from home. Um, and before I started this job, I'd never worked from home before in my life. I was always in the care home. I was always at the uh, drug and alcohol service. Yeah. I was never, I was never working from home. So when I started this, it was really bizarre because everyone had been doing it for so long. You know what I mean? <laughs> everyone had been doing it for like two years uh, by that point, like a, a year and a half, two years. So then when I started it, it was all very much, um, it was all bizarre. But, so uh, that was your first experience of working from home was coming into this job after yeah, the lockdown. Yeah. yeah so yeah. That, that's quite an interesting way around to because obviously people during lockdown, they, <laughs> a lot of people had to learn this whole process and develop mm-hmm. a whole kind of etiquette around like 
how do we do working from home and collaborating long distance and all of this kind of stuff and then you've kind of come in at the deep end and just had to pick everything up but yeah, I suppose it, that's kind of easier in a way because yeah the work's being done on that side yeah that's true I think a lot of people kind of got used to it I, I, I did find it really really difficult so like I started in the September 21 mm. um and then we were still spending like a couple of days in the office and then a few days at home that sort of thing and that'll that all fine it, it was good but then sort of in by the time November came around, it when the Omicron were going around and mm. everyone had it. I had it. Everyone I knew had it. Everyone had it. Mm. And um, at that point, it was all, everyone working from home again. And then there was the sort of from November to, to like the new year mm. where um, it was just constant, constantly working from home. And that was, that I found that really, really challenging. That was um, the really hard one, wasn't it? At the end, where it yeah. just it just went on forever. And yeah. It was just dark and cold, and it was like, yeah. "Oh, please let this lockdown end." Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we tasted freedom. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we tasted freedom, and then it was ripped away. Um, but yeah, that was real. That that for me was really really difficult for all aspects. You know, what I mean, my mental health for how I did my job, I found it really difficult to focus, really difficult to get engaged, really difficult to, all that sort of stuff, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. you just couldn't be bothered, you know what I mean? You're at home and yeah. uh, when you're in, I suppose you get for the first two weeks, it were fine. And then it just, it, it, that wasn't nice at all. Yeah. But um, I think now as we move past COVID, I think now I am out and about a lot more and I am seeing people in the prisons and I've got, opportunity to go into Leeds and have face-to-face -face meetings and stuff like that mm. um I quite quite enjoy my day my day or whatever a couple of days working from home now you know what I mean I can I feel I can get I can get a lot done yeah and you know how to work that day now yeah exactly yeah. exactly I suppose it has given me more of a um sort of I got I got <laughs> I sort of got the um the COVID the COVID experience from like up from a white collar position, but without the furlough, which everyone seems to get an Andy Kennedy furlough. <laughs> <laughs> you missed you missed all the highlights of it then. Yeah, basically. Just yeah. on the front, you know, the front lines of it. And then <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So since we Brexited, have you noticed any change in your work? Has anything changed for you? Has it been good, bad, or no change? Professionally, I think there's very little um that I can see. Um, from my roles that's changed um especially in this sort of sector the care sector the issues are always there I suppose you could argue the cost of living and stuff like that which is obviously partly or mainly to do with brexit uh debated but has there been an uptick in sort of gambling problems or anything yeah i think i think or... i think universally because people are now short on like short on mm. money mm. um i think for example if if i'm really really struggling and i've got 20 quid for the rest of the week Mm. I can put it all on black and I can have 40 quid for the rest of the week. Mm. Put it on black again, I could, I could have 80 quid for the rest of the week. Mm. And if that comes through two or three times, then it don't come through. Three out of four times it bad. You know what I mean? So, and then people get into that mindset, they want to start losing. Then once, well, three out of four times, I'll put 20 quid overdraft on and try and win it back. And then it don't come through. I'm, I'm minus 20 quid now, I need, I need to get that 20 quid back. And they'll go again, you know, I mean, that sort of thing. And that's how it all ticks over. So universally from that sort of 
from that sort of aspect it's probably has affected my work but again I didn't really know and I, I didn't really see it personally mm. because um when I started obviously September 21 mm. we were all very much in the cycle you know what I mean it had really been done um you know, we were in the middle of COVID you know what I mean there were a lot of Brexit wasn't spoken about then you know what I mean yeah exactly uh, kind of no, no one really spoke about it it was very much everything was COVID yeah I don't know if you know the answer but that was also making me think uh, like do we know anything about how it changed the stats during lockdown because I would imagine a lot of people a lot of time on their hands mm-hmm. a lot of easy access yeah. to phones and stuff I would yeah. imagine there was a big uptake in people gambling yeah. so it did go up so people bored people isolated people stuck at home you know what I mean mm-hmm. all those things put together um can be really dangerous for any anything really whether it is having a drink at 12 o'clock in the afternoon 11 o'clock in the afternoon or whether it is um gambling as well um what we found so we were expecting our fields sort of go up overnight it kind of went up within like i've been told anyway i was i wasn't here then like i say but it was around six months into lockdown so Mm. once all once the harm has had had chance to develop Mm. so people would probably start gambling and then do whatever and then the harm had developed slowly but surely and then when it came to ticking point when they realized what were happening that's when people were seeking support so statistics are out now that the gambling industry did take more in that year, mm-hmm. um, 2020, 2021. Online gambling obviously went through the roof, but that's could because that, that could also be because uh, the majority of land-based operations well, were all closed, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, all, all land-based places were closed. Yeah. So obviously online gambling went up. So that, like you say, that's easier access. People and people got it yeah, 24 exactly. hours. And you can make you can make smaller bets. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. There, so it's easier entry. All that sort of stuff. And I think as well, I'm I'm fairly certain that there was a record number of new gamblers as well over that period, um, which again doesn't really surprise me. Mm. I think we're probably starting to come up, come out to the other side now. I think people who are sorting themselves have managed to who are going to obviously a lot of people there that have still have issues because of all that situation mm. but i think in terms i think the majority of people have come forward for support now um and if they have got support and haven't just stopped on their own um so i think we are probably seeing that backlog sort of filtering out now which is really good mm. there is, there's good and bad with the gaming industry but i there is that and you could criticize it as tokenism and so on, but like there is the the kind of stop and think and like they do that is quite visible now in like betting shops, for example, and so on. I think the issue with it is, is that if someone is already that deep into it, yeah, that's, that's not going to make a difference. It's not going to make any difference yeah. at all. You know what I mean? And I think we do a work with industry locally, and we have got a, a national industry team as well. And we don't expect them to be counsellors, you know what I mean? We don't expect yeah. these people to, um, we know why they work, these work in they, these places, you know what I mean? Especially the land-based ones. They're there to make money for that business. That's their job. That's their role. And we wouldn't try to stop them doing that. Um, and we, we wouldn't expect them to counsel people to stop gambling. Mm-hmm. But it's about just pointing people in the right directions, asking the right questions, you know what I mean? So it's, are you all right? Are you doing all right on there? Says, do you think you've done enough for today? You know what I mean? That sort of stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, like they do in bars now. where Exactly. Like, exactly. Know, we'll, cut, we'll cut you off. Okay, you can go somewhere else, but that's up to the other place if they exactly. continue to, to serve Exactly, yourself. and it's exactly the same thing. There needs to be that, that duty of care on them as well. Mm. It doesn't have to be 
Um, you don't have to counsel them. You don't have to tell them yeah. um, how to get better, how to stop gambling. But you can say, oh, come on, I think you've had enough yeah. today. You know what I mean? I think we'll, we'll leave it for today. Mm. Um, them, those sort of conversations, which I think when we work with people, I think that, that is becoming a bit more cultural in these industries now. But then the opposite side of that is, is the online sort of stuff. Uh, because it's not face-to-face, because it's so um, impersonal, you know what I mean? It's not... It's not and not... it's intangible as well, because yeah, exactly. they don't have physical buildings. You you know, like, who are you going to ring and who are you going to write to? Or how can you engage with them to, exactly. to sort of bring them on board? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where it changes. Uh, and that's where, obviously, that's where it becomes a lot more harmful. Mm. Um, and it's, it's the same with women gamblers as well, you know what I mean? Like... If, yeah, probably 10 years ago, 10 to 15 years ago, um, a, a woman probably wouldn't have been caught dead going into a bookies. You know what I mean? It was very much a man's world. Um, obviously, there will be some, but I'm, I am generalising a bit there. I probably yeah. shouldn't, but um, the majority wouldn't, and, the, and it was very much a man's world. And it's still seen as that now. So women are a lot, more, a, a lot less likely um, mm-hmm. when they do find themselves in those situations where they are gambling too much, whether it is online bingo or whatever they are more likely, less likely to come forward for support because it's because it's a lot more shameful for them. It's seen as a lot more, because it is a man's thing and it is a man's world, um, they're a lot less likely. It's, it's evening out year on year, though. People are, there are more uh, women gamblers coming forward year by year and the people number of people coming in for support and treatment is evening out year on year. So we are getting better with that, which is really good. We have got a, we have got a women's team as well at Gamcare that do a lot that whole sort of stuff um i think as well i think if you even if you just look at the advertisement like that they do like you, you touched on it like you think about yeah how it's uh, advertised who it's appealing to exactly kind of, like yeah like, it's all very to... 1970s porn still isn't it yeah yeah exactly 1970s cigarette adverts of like yeah. This is cool and sophisticated. Exactly, exactly. Look at look at um Foxy Bingo, you know what I mean? Mm. It's very much um daytime television aimed mm. towards on after I've sponsored you sponsored Jerry McHale, now mm. sponsors loose women, mm. you know what I mean? Very much um aimed towards women who are at home, possibly mm. with children, uh possibly children have gone to school, that sort of thing, you know what I mean? Very much aimed at them. And it, it, it tries to create a community um, mm. for those individuals who, are, who, who might be isolated, you know what I mean? Because they are stuck at home and that sort of thing. Mm. And then on the flip side of that, you've got your William Hill, and there's all lads, you know what I mean? Lads Brooks, Paddy Power, you know what I mean? On sports mm. betting and stuff like that. That's very much lads, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. very much... That sort of thing you can, and it's one thing that the gambling industry are really, really good at. It's advertising, really, yeah. really good at it, and they know exactly what they're doing when they put these advertisements out. So we'll do. Uh, let's do climate change. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how this would fit with your role, but yeah, is there anything in your role? Do you do anything in your role? Can you do anything in your role towards adaptation, mitigation, or awareness raising? Obviously, there's always. You can always do more, you know what I mean, no matter what role you are doing, whether it is the public transport instead of driving, mm. um, you know what I mean, there are, we have got like cycle to work schemes and stuff like that in Gamcare. Mm. Uh, there's always more you can do. I think from my personal role, though, I think I'd, 
I don't drive. So we get public transport yeah. everywhere um, at the minute anyway. I'm learning to drive, so that might be. Um, but there's all those... I almost can't think of anything. No, I can't think of any ways uh, that's how it would fit in. I mean, I, I can, like, and it will obviously be relevant because it's going to affect everything, but and it is affecting everything. But yeah, it's not because it's there's not anything I can think of that's particularly high carbon. No. There could be an element of, I mean, depending on how much credence you give to things like climate anxiety of like, you know, people might gamble more or they could. Be yeah, I suppose if people are anxious in that way out, there's definitely the possibility if, it, if, if it's going to add, add to anxiety, anything that adds to anxiety um, mm. increases the chance of um addiction and stuff like that and, and creating un unhealthy coping mechanisms mm. um no matter where that anxiety is come from if it is climate if it is covid you know what i mean or just general anxiety anything like that will raise the risk of addiction okay so we'll do social media which i think will be a bit of a longer answer for you because mm -hmm. uh, i would imagine that you have to do some um yeah so yeah, it's more and more part of people's work every day. And, you know, like yeah, if you're not producing it directly, you're quite often involved in it. Not for mm -hmm. everyone, of course, but for many of us. So social media, uh, do you find value in it? Do you find that it gives you a good return on the time you invest in it? Like if you make something and you put it out there, does it do what you want it to do? And does it give you the thing back? Or are you just going, uh, put things out? <laughs> I think I think it, I think it can be very very useful, and I I actually look after um, our Facebook page and our Twitter page, so I'm I I do put things out on them. I look after it. Uh, we use um obviously stuff to set things up so it goes out after. And when I first started using it, the return was really really good. Um, mm -hmm. We had lots of um, especially Twitter, really really good, all that sort of stuff. But I think. The more my imagination started to run dry and I started to run out of things to to post, you know, I mean, I started recycling more and more posts, uh, that sort of thing. Um, it's it has slowly gone the other way and it's got the I'm I'm getting less and less return for it. But we are looking because of, as I mentioned before, we are going to be expanding out to Yorkshire Humber. There's gonna be a bit more of a push on um different areas now it's not going to go so much going to be just leads and we'll be able to look at different people to follow hopefully more more communication with other services and stuff like that through social media mm. there's definitely value in it um i think it takes um and in in in, in a way so on my personal social medias i post nothing it's, i have it but i have it to me knows it mm. you know what i mean i don't um I don't post anything. I never post anything. And I think um, to move, and I didn't before, even before, even before I took out the, the work one on board as well. I think that sort of transitioning from not posting anything, trying to drum up things to put out there that's going to make people want to read it and look at our service and look at what we do, more of an advertisement sort of role, mm -hmm. advertising what we're doing. We do put that like, even when we're out at events and stuff like that, we'll take photos, say we're out, we're out here today, so come say hi, you know, I mean, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then we'll put that out. It can, like I say, it's, and I think as well, because of the work that we are doing, because it is around gambling and um, a lot of people looking at the phones anyway, where they are gambling or the tablet or the 
laptop, whatever. Mm. Um, and then there's gambling ads, you know what I mean? There's, mm-hmm. Even when I started this role um, and I was Googling um, what is gambling harms, reading reports on gambling addiction, I'll try stuff like that, you know what I mean? Even just from looking at stuff like that, even I was getting gambling adverts. Yeah. So for, for people that gamble anyway online, uh, they're going to be getting more and more and more, uh, loads more than me. So I think um, for what we do, there is real merit because there is the odd, even if one person takes a look at it and says, you know what, I think I need to, I didn't, I didn't realize that um, um, 37% of men who attempt to take their own life, um, you know what I mean? Or I didn't realize that um, uh, there's one suicide from gambling addiction every day. I really do something I'm going to end up there you know what I mean even if someone just looks at that and it just changes it changes the way they think for that moment even if they don't follow through with it yeah it changes the way they think with that moment and then the more even if they do continue gambling it's still something they can come back to they can, it can still start a cycle of thought you know what I mean and start that how they think about what they they're doing and where they where they could be if, if they do continue so yeah. I think for that, and that's why I continue doing it. It's not um, it's not in my job role. It's not something that it's not in my contract or anything like that. You know what I mean? It's not in my job specification. It's something that I wanted to do anyway when I started. So I feel like it's where it, it, there is definitely more I could do. So I think I don't think I'm doing it as well mm-hmm. as I could uh, because there is it is still time consuming. You know what I mean? It is still. Um, it take, does take a lot of time to plan out a week of posts on social media and then to create these posts and then to put them onto action and stuff like that is and then and also as well because obviously you meant to interact with lots of other posts to get your algorithm going and stuff like mm-hmm. that and even that's time consuming when you're at work you know what i mean when you've got other things to do to answer in a bit more of a, of a nutshell i do do it mm-hmm. i find it i do find it useful i think sometimes i don't get a good return for my work mm-hmm. i think um if we're just going off pure numbers like views and stuff like that but i think the thought of not doing it and potentially missing somebody who really needs that really needs it that counteracts that and that's and i think that's enough for me i mean you when you mentioned kind of recycling posts and so on like that that can be useful because a lot of the people that you know obviously a lot of people don't see everything. They're yeah, yeah, things and so on, and and that can bring in more people. Hundred percent. I don't know if it's to do with everything because I, I do get the most of my posts, um, views from Twitter, and I don't know if it's because of all the change that's been going on at Twitter and stuff. You know, what I mean, all that we're not verified or anything like that, so I don't know if that's had a big um impact. But I've, you can notice from when I first started, when I first started doing social media, from getting thousands views a couple of thousand of views not so much interaction and stuff like that but views mm. um now down to getting like 100 150 maybe 200 at a time mm. um maybe even maybe less um a lot of the time less mm. so you can see i don't know if that's to do with the actual because i am recycling person i'm not working to their algorithm right or because of the big change that's obviously happened at twitter with elon Musk taking over and us not being verified has there been any new connections or new customers or new work that you know have come yeah from? yeah yeah i think um when i've seen uh been a f- 
a few a good few people where I've seen something that they post and then I can um, message them and just be like, is there anything, if you've got an email address that, that's mocked, that I can contact you with and stuff like that, especially from the criminal justice aspect. Um, yeah. There's like the Leeds Crime Reduction Network, it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really, really good. And so they have like these, um, they have like, a, it's not really a conference, more like a, a working group. And they'll talk about yeah. a different subject for that group. People will talk and stuff like that. And I presented at their annual conference back in November. And that all come about from um, chatting to them on social media to start yeah. with. And we've done different training sessions for different charities. And that's spread out into a lot more work than in, the, in that sort of sector. So, yeah. um, 100%, there's the always opportunity to connect with more people. And I think that's yeah. definitely in invaluable as well. You know what I mean? I think it's, um, I think that's more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, 100%. Yeah. Just being on there, just the just social media presence, like I say, just being there just makes all the difference. And I think you need to be nowadays, especially if you are doing these kind of roles where it is talking to different charities, talking to different services, trying to promote something such as gambling harms and stuff like that, or any sort of, health help you know what i mean counseling anything like that you need to be on social media and because a lot of those like you know we mentioned alcohol at the beginning but a lot of those a lot of these like addictions they're comorbid so someone will have an alcohol and gambling problem and potentially a drug problem 100 yeah or, or drugs and gambling or you know like various 100%. combinations of 100 and i think that's the difference as well so whereas obviously it's really really good that um, there are drug and alcohol services on social media as well. I think when you're dealing with the most the most typical people who are alcoholics and things like that, obviously they do scroll on social media, but they're a lot more self-aware of what they're going through. Mm. Whereas with gambling, because it is so hidden, and sometimes it's also hidden to the individual who don't realise what's happening, they're a lot more likely to uh, just brush it off. And then there's a squad, like I say, if you are on social media and they do see something like that, mm. um, they're a lot more likely to think about it's a lot more like to stay with them i assume you're thinking the same way as i am with with the sort of posting and stuff of like you want to put out nice beautiful clever posts that you think are nice and clever and beautiful Mm. and then everyone else likes them and gives them lots of attention and that's great and that's a good thing and Mm. then ideally from that new business or whatever comes but yeah the, the truth more is that someone notices you and notices something and is like oh that's a thing that exists and hopefully they remember it and then you build a connection but it, it's kind no, of the connection think. bit that's more important but you were quite often driven towards the kind of sales thing of like bring 100%. people into your sales funnel and all of that oh 100 because because that's how everyone always looks at the numbers you know what i mean no yeah. one no how many one, likes has it got well, does it matter? how many, how many customers have we got yeah exactly that's all exactly but you know it's it's the quality as well it's a quality mm. of people that even if if 10 people saw it and 10 people got something meaningful out of it, mm. or if a hundred people just saw it and just scrolled past it and it didn't have any effects, mm. you know what I mean? You, you soon have the 10 people, you potentially um, change 10 people's lives. Mm. You know what I mean? I think that's um, a really important way to look at it. Mm. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of this is like, as I'm saying, I've never really thought of it like that before. Mm. I want like looking at it like that. I've never really, thought of it like that and I think if you asked me yesterday as um I wouldn't have thought of that you know what I mean but I think um it's yeah that is really important 
if you could change any three things about your work, what would you change? So you can go carte blanche. They can be realistic. They can be unrealistic. You don't have to yeah. use all three. It's, again, I was thinking about this as well earlier, and I think it's a really difficult question. Firstly, um, I will happily, it sounds like I'm blowing me on the company jumper, but I've worked in the, this sort of sector for probably nearly well, eight years, something like that. And I've worked for two other services and Gamcare is the best service that I've worked for in that sort of way. It pays the best. It, um, we're in quite a small team up here. That's always nice. You know what I mean? It's all, it's, um, there's a lot of job satisfaction there. In terms of things that I would change, other people's attitudes towards what I do and uh, those sort of things, I think it's easy, it's very easy for someone to, and I know we all do it, when I'm talking to different services and we're having these conversations and they're really, really on board, they really want to be involved, and we'll do the training and then that's sort of it. You know yeah. what I mean? You can ask them a bit more, well, if you implemented a screening question, or have you done this, have you done that? And I'm like, oh, it kind of slips under the radar a lot. Because it's, it's more of a checkbox to them. Okay, they've done the training. They know what mm -hmm. to look for. But are they really asking the questions? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And I think that could make it a lot... Because at, at the end of the day, the only people that are missing out are the people that need support. Mm -hmm. um, people aren't asking the questions. And I, think, and I, I do believe that as someone who used to do a lot of assessments anyway, it's really easy to find your own way of doing assessments and not ask the question as you should. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and that's probably one thing I would change, but it's not so much about my role, though. I don't, in terms of my role, I honestly don't know. I just don't know, and I was thinking earlier, I honestly don't know. It sounds one. like that's quite a hard one for you because, you know, like, because it is that progression of, like, you know, you, like you say, you've, you've enjoyed all your roles, but this is a role that's kind of given you more yeah the roles you've had before I and think plus you've got that work experience now mm, you've got yeah. that background that gave you a deeper understanding yeah 100 so you've got a real kind of like I know this job mm. so there's that I, sense of mastery as, as well as the sense of purpose 100 percent. So, yeah I think it's the sense of the sense of freedom I get with it as well you know yeah, and you're fairly but, autonomous so it's ticking yeah, all exactly. those three boxes exactly like when I worked um obviously when I worked at the the care home, it was shift work, you know what I mean? It wasn't a lot of overtime. You could plan your day out, but it wouldn't go that way. Um, yeah, you were always reactive. You couldn't exactly. be that proactive. Exactly. And, and it was the same at the drug and alcohol service as well. It was a lot of firefighting, you know what yeah. I mean? It's always putting out fires, always an issue, always a problem. Yeah. Whereas where I am now, it's so, it's a lot more laid back. It's a lot more relaxed. I can kind of do everything at my own pace. Yeah. If I need to go out somewhere and do something, I can just go and do it. I don't need to be telling, I don't need to have permission to do everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can kind of do everything at my own pace. Yeah. Um, and that's really valuable for me. I think it really creates that work life balance for one. Mm. Um, and I think it really keeps it keeps you motivated mm. to when because it, it's not as regimented, you know what I mean? Um, it's not as set. It's, it can be quite something that I got. 
again, how I work is still quite chaotic because that's all I've ever known. You know what I mean? Mm. Everything's always a mess. There's always things all over the place. Um, my, there's always my, things go wrong. There's always yeah, things yeah. reduced. And... Yeah, exactly. My, 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 my inbox is always a mess, all that sort of yeah. stuff. You know Half my mean? colleagues have just left. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but um, it's all very... It's organised mess now, and I know what I'm yeah. doing, and I'm, and I'm quite comfortable with it. Some of that's experience, uh, you know, from your previous roles and knowing how to manage that, and then all those other experience. I mean, going through COVID as well, and then jumping into this role through that. Oh, it, yeah. it is a constant sort of. So all of those skills you've learned, the kind of firefighting skills, yeah. you've still got them. You can still use them, but now you've got that. That was the, build that was the really difficult thing. So when I, that's when, when I was saying I work in home for that long period over COVID. Mm. That was sort of real difficult because I started in the September, then by the November, I, I wasn't leaving the house at all. I'd worked mm. all through COVID. I was going out every day to work. I was leaving the house. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I was at home. And that was the first time I'd really experienced that through COVID, whereas mm. everyone else had furlough and stuff like that and had time to adjust. I really hadn't because I was still out, out and about five days a week at work, mm. six days a week at care and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, like, what the hell's this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what's this? Because obviously, <laughs> We were still going through it and this work when there is when that was going on this work was quite difficult because no yeah, one's yeah. still no one's everyone else was still working from home as well yeah. you know what i mean so and i bet you felt like you didn't know what the hell you were doing for exactly them. yeah exactly like, am i doing anything right here am i like no one's around exactly. to tell me i can't talk to colleagues exactly and when i'd saw and, and yeah so that were because i was still that used to being on the go all the time mm. um and doing that firefighting when i didn't have to do it i like what am I doing? What can I do? Nothing to do. And then when I was like, what can I do? There's nothing to do. I just, okay, just take a brief breath. You know what I mean? You don't have to be doing something all the time. Exactly. Exactly. You can have a breath. And the more I've settled into that, the more I've realized that's where your work-life balance comes in. That's when you can sort of, it's okay to take a minute. Mm. It's always, it's, it's okay to go for a walk around the garden go out and have some fresh air for 10. You know what I mean? That sort of stuff, it, it's, it's okay to do it. And yeah. where I haven't really had that in any of my any other of my roles before. Yeah. And it's okay to do the the thinking, the ruminating, the like the problem solving part. Like you don't yeah. always have to be producing. A lot of it's about thinking through problems, thinking, especially if you've got a role with an element of strategy in it where you're trying to build various connections. Yeah, relationships. You've got to think about what you're doing, where you're going, who you're going to see, when you're going to see them, how you're going to approach that. And like okay, so I want to make a connection with them, but could it help to make a connection with these people first? And I know these people know these people and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but that doesn't always appear as like active kind of producing and making things. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. So right. you feel a bit guilty sometimes of just like, I felt really guilty. I look like I'm not working, but I'm yeah. thinking about all the exactly, work. Exactly. When I first started, I felt, I, I felt really guilty because I felt, so much like I was so much on the go it's like I'm getting paid here and normally I'm working my ass off exactly exactly but you realize that you don't have to like I say you don't have to be moving all the time you don't have to be running around and producing to be exactly 100% you hit the nail hit the nail on the head okay so I'm going to finish off I, I normally finish with the change question but I thought I'd finish off with UBI for a change okay are you familiar with UBI universal is it, is it universal yeah universal basic income yeah um a little bit if we had a universal basic income how do you think that would change your work so your own work kind of specifically and how you would think about work 
but oh. also think about it from the perspective of in your role if there was a ubi in society how do you think that might affect the kind of gambling harms issue as well yeah so, yeah if you answer for yourself first and then maybe we'll consider that yeah i think it's a great idea and i'd love to say that everyone would be really happy with it and everyone would be perfect but we know i think realistically it would stop people wanting to progress as much i think um i don't i really don't know i think it difficult one i think i'd still I mean, for, you, for yourself I'd, would you yeah. would you still do this job and or yeah. would you maybe would you work the same amount of hours or would you be like do you know what can i do this three or four days a week and have an extra bit of free time maybe do your own projects or would you be like no i'm going to work this as much as possible or maybe more hours because this is like i'm really really dedicated and i want to give everything to this site i think i'd probably carry on if i, I think if i could earn this, the, the money that i'm earning now if, the, if that money stayed the same and i could do the same if, 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 I, if I could do more for more money yeah so you're getting everything paid for but then all of the work that you're doing is just yeah. like bonus so you're getting yeah. that on top of I would, it. I, I would i would probably do more than i would i would probably do more i'd probably if, if again if, if i could change my days i'm a big believer in the four day week sort of thing you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. doing um nine till nine or something like that or six 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 do, give me six six four days a week you know what i mean i'd I'd smash through that and have that, give me that Friday off. You know, You're ambitious. I, mean? I haven't got that kind of energy. Four <laughs> days, nine to five. That's more than enough. My my perfect week is a 20, 24 hour work week. That's what I would get. Hour. Yeah, <laughs> I think no. Like if it, if I could get the same, like if we do the same money I'm on now, if I could do if four days a week. Give me six, six, four days a week. You finish at six. You've still got enough time to. Chill out on an evening, have some food. Have you still got your own time if you want to do something? Yeah. You know what I mean. And, then, and a three day weekend, and 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 a three day weekend. You know what I mean. That that's perfect for me. You know what I mean. I if I'd do that any day of the week. I'm a big believer in that. But I think, like I say, if I could earn more by doing more, I'd do that. And then if I, if I wanted to, I could do hours on a Friday as well. It completely depends on it. So you wouldn't just sit at home and go straight on all the online gambling. <laughs> I think I get some funny looks. To be fair, no one would know though, so that'll be the thing when it nobody would know. So um how do you think it would affect the stats if there if there was a UBI? Do you think there'd be more gambling or do you think there'd be less because people they don't have that pressure to kind of you know, there isn't that kind of where people are desperate and they gamble as they're like, well, I'm never going to make enough money, but hopefully this will get something for me, that kind of mm. motivation. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. Um, I think... It's really hard to to call. I mean, it's 50-50, it, it, it's isn't it? It really is 50-50. <laughs> I think, um, cause I think I take some people, it will affect people for the better. Some people will get more and they will think of the money more and they will... Or maybe not have the money to gamble if they haven't gone that far to go into debt. They're a lot more, they might be a lot more likely to take a step back uh, if it is getting in the way of other things in their life. Mm. Um, but at the same time, people on the lowest income still, um, even though it is universal, um, people who have got the most, got the issues to start with, mm. uh, I think them, I don't think it'll change a great deal. I really don't. I don't, more I think about it, I don't think it'll. From a gambler's point of view, I think if they're going to gamble, they're going to gamble anyway. 
same as people that, that use substances, you know what I mean? If they're going to use substances, they're going to do it anyway. It don't matter what kind of... If an alcoholic uh, won a million quid, do you think he'd stop drinking? Mm. If a gambler um, who's already gambling um, all of a sudden started a constant, getting a constant influx of cash, do you think they'd stop gambling? I don't think... I really don't... I think a lot, a lot of them... If they weren't willing to change already, I don't think it'd make them more. Yeah, if you're not at that point where you're ready to change. But then I suppose there is the, the so potentially if people are working less, people have more time, they're around more. Mm-hmm. There true. can potentially be more space to kind of go, oh, hang on a minute, Dave, you, you you're taking this a bit far now. Like yeah. you're all right, like or you know, there there are more possibilities for perhaps intervention or help yeah. and people ideally i mean i'm thinking about this utopia yeah, yeah. like have less stress so they have more time yeah more more time for self-reflection more time for um, and and helping others and just you know yeah, spending time with them, an eye on each other I mean, in, in yeah, a healthy yeah. way not in a yeah like, yeah exactly same same friends same family that sort of stuff um that can definitely change the way someone thinks and feels um, it might give more people time to notice that things are going wrong as well. If everyone's okay. got the uh, same issue, people might more likely to say, Well, where's all your money gone? I'm, I want the same money as you, yeah, and same amount, you know what I mean? So, there might be that aspect as well. Um, but I think, like I say, I think the same as any addiction, I think unless someone really wants to change, yeah. it won't change. And it's if that influx of cash or whether that constant flow of cash is going to change the way that, um, the gamble. I think a lot of people, if they're already that way inclined. I don't think it'll change a great deal. I think to be fair, I think but the same could be said as well with the, with the less time and the same and more time off. It gives people more time to gamble. And I know if I if 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 I were to four if I were to four day a week, I would drink more on, on on those three days off. I might not necessarily got get really really drunk every day, mm. but I would definitely consume more alcohol in general because I've got that extra day. Yeah, but it's like what do you do on holiday? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you drink. That's the that's the it's the British way, isn't it? You go, you, go, you find cheapest pint and you go there. Yeah. Like, well, I've done I've done cultural stuff, I've done beach. Now it's drink. <laughs> I might have had some drinks while I was doing that, but you know, I'm on holiday. Exactly. I'm on holiday. <laughs> exactly. What else am I gonna do? Yeah, it's exactly the same. Um, and I think yeah, I I know for a fact, like I say, if, if I had the extra day. I'd consume more alcohol. I'd say not, it's not, not a guarantee that I get lathered every day I'm off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I would consume more. And I think yeah, it's because the, it would be one less day where you yeah, exactly. didn't have to wake up early and exactly, sort of, yeah. I don't have to worry about getting up tomorrow, so I can drink if I want to. Exactly. And I think it'd be, and I think it'd be very similar with gambling as well. Mm-hmm. For the people that have all that extra time, I think if people do choose to have that extra day off and they are that way inclined to have yeah. a gamble, they're more likely to gamble more. Yeah, and, and and then you could also kind of go, well, okay, I'm spending, all right, I'm gambling too much of my basic income away, but I can just get a job. I'll just do a job for a bit yeah, and then I'll pay yeah. that off. And then, yeah, so, yeah, I can see see easy ways into it still. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely. Okay, so uh, that's me done on my questions. So I'm going to throw it over to you. So first of all do the where people can find you so if you want to give all the socials out and then yeah, i'll do course. it hand over to you so i'll let you do the socials first yeah so you can find us um, on twitter at leeds cgs on facebook uh leeds community gambling service 
or Instagram, Leeds Community Gambling Service, but it's all one word. Something we haven't really spoken about is that um, we also offer support for affected others as well. So it's anyone who's been affected by gambling, not just the gambler themselves. So if it's your friend or a family member, um, a parent, um, something like that, if it's one of your children, you can come for some support too. And it's exactly the same referral process into our service. So if you go to our website, so it's gamcare.org slash UK. And if you just Google uh, Gamcare Yorkshire and Humber, um, it'll come straight up with um, our page and there's a referral form there. Or you can give us a call on 0113-388-6466. Yeah, um, there's lots of good stuff on the website in general. Um, there's lots of different recovery toolkits understanding your gambling and all that sort of stuff so if uh, even if you want to have a quick browse on there go and have a look thank you again to george for being my guest you can follow leeds community gambling service on twitter at leeds cgs that's charlie golf sierra on facebook leeds community gambling service or Instagram leads community gambling service. And you can find out more about Gamcare by going to www.gamcare.org.uk. Thanks as always to all my guests and thanks to you leads for being my subject. Right, quick check-in. How are you? Exhausted? Feeling a bit bruised by all the horror? Firstly, don't look at the news. Turn off notifications on your phone. Clear all the news from your tabs. Turn it over when it comes on. Mute stories on social media. If you're tempted to click on a link that they want you to click on, click to get rid of it instead. Remember, the news doesn't tell you what to think. It does tell you what to think about. Set your own agenda. Follow just the stories that you are interested in. Own your algorithm. Train it like the mangy cur that it is. Next year, you're going to have two general elections either side of the Atlantic and the news is going to be horrendous. The campaigns will be disgusting. The news will behave in an even more appalling way than we've ever seen so far. So, brace, brace, brace. Maybe you can feel it. We've passed a threshold now and that's going to become even more apparent to even more people next year. It's like a veil slowly lifting. Things are going to get really crazy, like it's crazy now, but... We're only really just starting to come up on climate change, so we're going to feel its effects more directly on our lives now. Yeah, it's awful, and what we're seeing already is just the higher pressure points buckling under the strain. We've gone from hairline cracks to fractures to full-on chunks falling off now, and those chunks will only get bigger. Some of those chunks you will be standing on when they give way. Others will smash you in the face as they fall down. But hey, don't think about it. Forget about it. Have a cup of tea and a biscuit. Things are hard and bad and getting harder and worse and it will all get harder still. Get ready. Fortify. Grab a hug if you need one and you probably do really need one. Remember that our neighbours are our neighbours and are not any dehumanising categories and labels that power and media tell us that they might be. It's not okay for us to hate each other. If you're in Leeds or from Leeds, if you are Leeds, then please come on the show. Yes, I am speaking to you. I still need to find 896 loyalists to interview, so being a guest is the greatest help. You will enjoy it. 100% satisfaction, as far as I know, so far. 
Also, I condemn the war, this one, the last one, the next one, and the nuclear one we're going to have if we don't knock off this behaviour as soon as possible. Remember to like, share, follow and subscribe to Working Hours and please consider supporting Working Hours financially with either a regular or a one-off donation of any amount. You can email Working Hours at workinghourspod at western-studios.com. Okay, that's me. Work for peace and plan with kindness. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, Leeds. Working Hours is produced, recorded, edited and published by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org. Follow Western Studios Leeds on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash western underscore studios underscore leads and on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash western hyphen studios. Western Studios Leeds will help you realise your podcast for only £25 for an hour of podcast work. Need podcast production, recording, editing or any podcast admin doing? Need it all doing? Do you want or need a podcast host or co-host for your podcast project? Then get in touch with Western Studios Leeds Limited. Email makemypodcast at western-studios.com to get your podcast made. I am available to third sector organisations, small to medium sized businesses and individuals who want to make podcasts or create other digital audio content. Want to make some fundraising case studies? Want to show off your expertise in your field? Want some help creating your show and format or just some support learning to podcast and getting going? Whatever your podcast needs, get in touch with Western Studios Leads. Go to western-studios.com and use the contact page to drop me a message about either working hours or about your own podcast project.